temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Anderson will get it to Madrigal, two, game over. And the White Sox have a chance for a series sweep tomorrow. That's the call on NBC Sports Chicago. White Sox victorious yesterday. I'm Rami Makhlouf in for Matt Spiegel this morning on hit and run. 670 to score. Open up the phone lines at... 312-644-6767 for you to talk some White Sox in just a few minutes. But joining me now to do just that from MLB.com, White Sox beat writer Scott Merkin joins me now on the Alpamani Nissan Hotline. How are you this morning, Scott? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you on beat duty or are you on some kind of Mother's Day duty today? What's what's Scott Merkin up to? I'm on beat duty, but I do want to wish happy Mother's Day to everyone, including my own great mom, Phyllis Merkin, who's out there in uh, Hawthorne Woods. There you go. Got to get that in, Scott. Well done, sure. sir. I, there, there's no, there's nowhere for me to start this interview. And, and look, there's a lot of good stuff to talk about with this White Sox team, and we're going to do that in just a second. But there's really nowhere for me to start this interview other than the shall we call it mix up a few days ago, where Tony Larusa did not know the extra inning rule that he could take his pitcher off of second base and go with the batter previous to them to start the extra inning out there on second base. How awkward was that moment when when Tony Larusa realized he just didn't know the rules? Scott, were you in on that Zoom call, and and did you feel the tension in the digital air that afternoon? I was off that day, but I've okay. of course seen the clip since. And sure. uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to go out on a limb, and I know David Bell said he did know the rule, but I'm going to guess there were quite a few managers who probably kind of smiled and took a breath and said, "Wow, I guess." Uh, Tony took one for us on that one because I didn't know the rule either on that. So, I mean, it's, I understand that they made it clear that there was, a, you know, a, an addendum to the rule with no universal DH this year. It's interesting. I mean, you know, they were, it was a good thing that Liam Hendricks, nothing happened when he was running the bases. And I did see that, you know, oh, actually I heard on Friday when he talked to us about that again, that, you know, he told Liam Hendricks just to take it easy, don't do anything crazy and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, he he said he was happy that he was honest and not happy, but he was, you know, satisfied that he was honest and said what he felt and that he didn't know it. And my, my question on this is too, is, and I'm not calling anyone out one way or another, because I don't think that move cost them the game. I, I think, you know, two singles right. and 10 innings, which happens every now and then, right. There are games where, you know, you don't score eight runs on nine hits in the first inning as they did when they masked, you know, yesterday, if that's a word I can use. Um, but, you know, he has a staff too. And 
did someone on the staff say something? Did he not, you know, listen when they did say something? That's a question that I think, you know, needs to be answered too, because, you know, this is not um, a one man show by any stretch of the imagination, even though, you know, you have a guy who I, I get it. He's 76 and he hasn't managed since right. he won a world series in 2011, but you know what? He's 18 wins away from second most wins in baseball history. And he's won three world series titles and six pennants. That's great. That's, you know, past resume and that kind of thing. But I don't care if you're 76 or 86, you don't forget baseball. You know, you don't suddenly not have a clue what you're doing out there. So he knows the game, but what was the whole dynamic of, you know, the staff too. So I think it's just the responsibility of everyone to get things right and make sure you're in a, you're in a good position. And Scott, I'm, I'm no fan. I'll, I'll just put this out there. I'm no fan of Tony LaRue. As a Cubs fan from his Cardinals days, I'm no fan of Tony LaRue. So <laughs> I'm not going to look for opportunities to defend the dude. But in this one instance, I almost feel like I, he deserves to be defended because, Scott, you, you you started down this road, but he does have an entire an entire dugout of a bench coach and, and on down of, of a coaching staff. There's a front office that's sitting up in the booth watching this game, presumably, that can call down to the dugout and let him know, hey, maybe you're missing a rule. Scott, there are pro- I mean, the rule book is, is thick, and there's probably instances, I don't know, Every few days where a manager might miss something, whether it's a rule or his eye is just so focused on on what's going on here that he misses what's going on there. There's a lot going on in a baseball game and a lot going on in a manager's head, and that's why you have a bench coach and you have a staff. So for Tony La Russa to miss it is not good. I'm, I'm not saying that there is an excuse for him to miss it, but to me, the, the, the bigger failure is almost systemic and that nobody in that dugout, or like I said, somebody in the front office didn't call down and say, hey, Tony, you're missing something here. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it's a failure. I would say more the the dugout. Yeah, failure is maybe a harsh word. I'll give you that. Yeah, I, I would say more dugout in the front office because I don't think, you know, a front office, Rick Hahn or Kenny Williams is, or, you know, anyone else is going to call down at, at a spur of the moment and say, hey, get Liam Hendricks off second base. You know, I mean, I think it's more on the coaching side. But it's an interesting dynamic with this team this year is that, you know, they have games like last night and they have games like Friday where they look tremendous. And they've had a lot of those this year. And, you know, you look at the general fan base, which is so excited about this season after, you know, they took that step away from rebuilding last year and made the playoffs and were, you know, just short of advancing out of the first round. And you see fans kind of, you know, quietly planning parade routes, you know, for October, (laughs) you know, and then you have a game like, you know, Wednesday, or you have a game like last Sunday where Cleveland took it to him and, you know, Zach Plesak shut him down and suddenly it's all chaos and what's Tony La Russa doing And You know, my dealings with Tony LaRusso basically I think are limited to like two or three interviews before I started covering him this year. So it's not like I have a deep, you know, working relationship with him from the past, but I mean, I I think this is a pretty solid showing by a team that is missing, you know, a silver slugger left fielder, a guy who can get you, you know, 40 home runs now missing a gold glove center fielder. I happened to hear a little of the Royals broadcast last night and there was a play where uh, Leary Garcia went back on a uh, uh, Solaire fly ball and just missed it, and I think it was Rex Hudler who said, you know, Luis Robert catches that ball without even jumping, probably. And that's no offense to Leary. It's just Luis Robert's probably, you know, just behind Byron Buxton in terms of the best defensive center fielders in the American League. You know, Yasmani Grandal was hurt during spring training, like early on. I think February 24th he hurt his knee, and I think is still working his way back to 100%. And yet they're in first place. You know, I, again, it's 31 games. A lot can change in the next 31 games, you know, or next 40 games. 
but it's a really good baseball team. And I think the, the, the focus for me is basically the results. You know, they're 18 and 13. They're a first-place team. And, you know, whether they win the division, if they do win the division by two games or 20 games, there's no asterisk saying, well, they should have won by more. You win the division or you don't, it's pretty much a zero-sum game to me. Yeah, and, and you're leading me right right to what I wanted to ask you next. I know I know it got off to a rocky start with the hiring of Tony Lewis, so there were questions about it from the beginning, his age, how long he hasn't been in the manager's seat, then you had the DUI report, and it, it, was, just, it was a rocky start to the whole thing, and I feel like... A, a lot of people begrudgingly accepted Tony La Russa as the manager of the White Sox. And then you have stuff like what happened when he didn't know the rule and, 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 and maybe some, some rocky periods here early in the season that, that Sox fans took it as an opportunity to jump on this guy's back. Do you think fans and, and the media have been a little bit too harsh, a little quick to jump on Tony La Russa for some early season struggles that, that we saw a few weeks ago and, and for things like we saw on Wednesday with him not knowing that rule, do you think people were just a little too quick to jump on this guy? No, I think, you know, fans have, you know, I, I mean, I'm a fan of teams. You know, I, I think fans have a right sure. to say whatever they want. You know, I mean, they they pay the money to go to the ballpark. They invest their heart and soul into this team. You know, I mean, they're not doing the work that the manager and the coaches and the players and the front office is doing on a daily basis, but they really feel invested in teams. So if they want to, you know, they don't like what's going on in a certain situation. I get it, but it's interesting because, you know, some of the same complaints you hear about Tony this year, you heard about Ricky Renteria last year, who I thought did a solid job and I thought would have won with this team this year as well. And that's taking nothing away from Tony LaRusso. That's just focusing on Ricky himself. So maybe it's just more the nature of the job and maybe, yeah, you know, the hiring might have, the way it went down might have given a little extra to the fan base and that kind of, and just everyone in general. But no, I, I think, you know, you can say whatever you want. I remember, you know, there was a time I, everyone who follows me or has talked to me or has met me knows I'm a Michigan grad and I'm a huge Michigan fan. And I remember uh, one year I was to- talking about John Beeline about how he's a good guy, but he's never going to get them to the championship game. And that year when they made the championship game, someone else on Twitter found that tweet and said, well, I guess you're wrong on that. So, I mean, you know, you you can get mad and then kind of retrace your steps and understand that, okay, it's working. So, you know, I I think the bottom line is right now at 31 games, they're 18 and 13 and they're a first place team. And we'll see what happens over the next 31. Talking with Scott Merck and he covers the White Sox for MLB.com here on Hit and Run. Rami Makhlouf. And for Matt Spiegel, one of the pleasant surprises early in this Sox season has been Carlos Rodon, who obviously came with high expectations when he was drafted and first came up to the major league levels. And then he runs into the injury problems and has has not lived up to those expectations since. But this year, you could argue, and, and it's maybe even clear that he's been the White Sox best pitcher that that puts them in a tough position come this offseason, though, Scott, where they need to decide if, if they're going to pay him or not. What do you think they do with that decision given the track record and, and what we've seen this season so far. Yeah, I think through five starts, Carlos Rodon has been not only the Sox's best pitcher, but the American League's best pitcher, right? I right. mean, if they gave a, a Cy Young Award on Mother's Day, Carlos Rodon would be the winner, I think, right now in the American League. And I think, you know, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams have their big board in their offices or wherever it is right now during, you know, sadly during these pandemic times. And they'll figure that out as it goes on. They have an idea. But I don't think they're worried much about at this point about the long term, I just think they want Carlos Rodon to, you know, carry it out through the rest of the season and what a great, you know, boon that would be towards the, you know, the playoff picture and just getting there, first of all. And you know, to his credit, it's something Tony Larissa pointed out that Carlos is not kind of reveling in what he's done in that game. You know, he gets done with the game, he pitches great like he did, like he's done every game this year. 
you know, what's he got an 0580 RA, I think, right now, 5-0 mm-hmm. record. And he just focused on the next one. That's what he told us after his start Friday. You know, he was happy with the way he pitched, but move on to the next one. And he's, you know, he's really, you know, he's using, you know, he's even mixing in the curve. So he's using four pitches out there to get guys out. His fastball is playing great. And he, you know, he looks like the number three pick in the draft. And to his credit, you know, he worked his butt off in this offseason. He worked hard with Ethan Katz before the season and during spring training and is in a great place. Now, as Ethan Katz said to us yesterday, he guesses, you know, Carlos is going to give up a few runs before this year is over. But, you know, I mean, I think you have a guy who, I mean, it's it's great for the Sox to have too many good pitchers, right? I mean, they have five solid starters right now. You have Michael Kopech, who's looked great in relief and looked very good and, you know, look, I should say great in, in his spot starts. So you're in a pretty good situation, you know, in terms of pitching right now. I mean, 25 and a third consecutive scoreless innings for the starting rotation. They they haven't been scored upon since Cleveland beat the Sox and Lucas Giolito last Sunday, 5 nothing. Is this the best Sox rotation that you've covered? And, and what do you think is the plan for, for Michael Kopech here in 2021? It, it's kind of tough at 31 games to say it's the best when I saw a rotation throw four complete games and almost five complete games in the ALCS in 2005. I mean, maybe that staff didn't have the raw stuff of what this 2021 staff has, but man, I mean, yeah, but you know, that's a good sign. I mean, that team won. You can talk right. all you want about Ozzy Ball and talk about the power they had in the hitters. That team won because they could pitch and catch the ball, you know, and their pitching was lights out during that 11 and 1 playoff run. <clears throat> and it's a very good sign for this team this year that it may be along those same lines. So I, I, I don't know if it's the best, you know, it's, little early to say, but it's been extraordinarily impressive. So what was the second part? Oh, Michael Kopech. Michael you know, Kopech, I think, yeah. um, you know, they have two no-hitters. And I'm sorry. Well, there you go. Maybe, maybe keep this tape in case it does happen again. But they have two <laughs> double-headers. So many no-hitters. I'm equating them with no-hitters with no hitters at this point. Um, <laughs> two double-headers coming up this Friday at home against Kansas City and then a Memorial Day at Cleveland. And I would guess that Kopech gets a start at least in one of those, you know, four or seven-inning games. And I think they're going to keep using him like they've used him. You know, I mean – with the off days right that are mixed in so prevalently right now, you don't need a six starter in there. So, I, but I think you can, you know, you're going to need someone for one of the doubleheader games this Friday. So that's a perfect spot to stretch Kopech out and give him another chance to start, which is what he do, wants to do and what he will do long term. But using him the way they've used him right now has worked out, you know, basically perfectly. Talking with Scott Merkin for just a couple more minutes here on Hit and Run, MLB.com, White Sox beat writer Rami Makhlouf in. For Matt Spiegel, I, I saw Rick Hahn, some quotes from him the other day. I'm paraphrasing, saying that they're going to try and replace the the offensive production of Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez, both lost injuries, but they're not going to invest too much of the future to do that. Do, do you think they can go out and get a big bat like a Gallo or a Bryant if they're not willing to invest a, a good bit of the future between now and the trade deadline? Well, I think Rick, you know, what Rick was saying basically is there's a balance. You know, right. I mean – it was kind of like last year at the trade deadline. You know, they had opportunities to add guys, but I think the guys they're looking for, you know, they look at who they are, whether it be a Nick Madrigal or a Michael Kopech or something along, or, you know, it may be Dane Dunning at that point. You say, okay, you know, it may help us now, but how much is it going to affect us in this three or four year plan, which we have, you know, really plan to be prime contenders. So I don't think they're going to mortgage the entire future just for a chance to, you know, get better this year when you may get Eloy Jimenez and, you know, Luis Robert both back in September at some point, you know, who knows? I mean, it's, it's so hard to gauge and, you know, Rick Hahn made it pretty clear. I mean, that they won't really know on these guys until they get, you know, two months out 
or even, you know, three months out to see where they're exactly at at that point. Yeah, I mean, Luis Roberts not even going to do baseball activities, he said, for, you know, 12 to 16 weeks. So I think they're going to look. I think they're going to look internally, too, and see what they have. And I think they're going to make, you know, the prudent move. If, if it's a move that they feel, you know, such as like Dane Dunning for Lance Lynn, you know, you basically are taking one year of Lance Lynn for a guy you had control over who's a pretty talented pitcher, but it's what will help you win this year and give you a viable chance to not only win the division, but maybe, you know, win it all or move forward, you know, deeper into the postseason. And I think they'll gauge the same thing to see what's asked for and then go from there if the move makes sense to help the White Sox in 2021 without doing too much damage to that three-year, four-year plan, you know, long-term. You think they can win the division? If there are no moves made, given the losses of Jimenez and Luis Robert, do you think they can make they can win this division without making a major move to replace some of that offensive production? Absolutely. Uh, Kansas City is, you know, has been a surprise. I don't think they're going to, you know, be more than a 75-76 win team, which is probably a good step for them in their rebuild. Detroit's not very good. That's been pretty obvious. Cleveland can pitch probably right with the White Sox, and you have, you know, arguably the best pitcher in the American League, you know, the last two years in Shane Bieber. I'm not sure if they hit enough to stay, you know, in contention. And the Twins, boy, you know, I thought they were a really good team coming in. I still think they have a chance to be a really good team. It's 32 games in. But one of the things that really derails a prime contender quickly is giving games away late. And they've done that quite a bit through these first 32 games. I, I mean, just a little I've watched, I'd say I've seen, you know, three or four games where they were actually leading in the eighth or ninth and lost that game. And that that's a huge momentum swing for any team, even really good teams. So, you know, we've seen teams like the Nationals, they were, what, 19 and 31 and won the World Series. The Marlins that won it uh, in 2003, I think, were like 15 and 30, and they won the World Series. The Astros, who lost to the White Sox in 05, were somewhere around 15 and 30. So, you know, 32 games is not the time to tear the team apart and say, well, we're done, we have no chance, especially when there's no one really in baseball who's, you know, shown sheer dominance this year. But I would say, as of right now, as of Mother's Day, I would be surprised that the White Sox don't win the AL Central with or without Eloy and Luis Robert. That's Scott Merkin. He is a White Sox beat writer for MLB.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Scott Merkin, and my guest for the last few minutes here on Hit and Run. Scott, really appreciate the time, man. Thanks a lot. Sure, anytime. And again, happy Mother's Day to everyone out there. Ditto. And he joins us on the Alpamani Nissan Hotline. Alpamani Nissan in Melrose Park on North Avenue or APNissan.com. My brother sent uh, happy Mother's Day wishes to our mom on like the family group text thread. And I just responded with ditto. Sean, do you think that covers it? Do I have to do I have to do more? Does there have to be flowers and like me actually saying happy Mother's Day? Or do you think the ditto pretty much covers it and I'm good and can go about the rest of my day at 1245 when I get off the air here? I mean, right. Yeah. You don't you don't have to release this information. But like, how old are you? I'm 41. Yeah. I mean, you've been around for 40 Mother's Day. I think ditto's fine. <laughs> All right. Good. Thanks. I feel good about myself now. We'll hit a quick break on the other side. Want to get into the conversation I was having there with Scott. Have we been a little bit too hard on Tony LaRussa? 312-644-6767. Rami Makhlouf in for Matt Spiegel. It's hit and run on 670 to score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. High fastball. Now the throw into second base. And they've got Garcia. Hendricks does not move. Tucker Barnhart the throw. And the challenge there when you have a pitcher at third is you can't force the catcher into thinking about not throwing through because he's not as worried about the runner at third. Two and two. Struck him out. So now Liam Hendricks has to come back and strand a runner who's going to start the inning at second base. As a call on NBC Sports Chicago earlier this week. We're going to have some positive Sox talk and even be positive about Tony La Russa here in just a minute. Give me your calls at 312-644-67. You can text, same number, tweet the show. Rami Makhlouf in for Matt Spiegel on hit and run at 670 to score. But as I said to Scott Birkin, any discussion about the White Sox on a baseball show on a Sunday morning in the city of Chicago and any discussion about Tony La Russa has to start with what went down right there where Tony La Russa apparently did not know that he didn't have to put Liam Hendricks out there on second base to start extra innings. And we found that out that he didn't know that in the postgame press conference. And here's that sound. Tony, without using Hendricks as the runner in the second inning, was that an intentional choice? As the rule book says, you could have you know, used Abreu as the pinch runner in that case. You have to use the guy you know, who made the last out. And that was Vaughn, not Abreu. So... Ooh. Vaughn made the last out. The rule book, the MLB.com said, if the player in the batting order immediately preceding that half inning's leadoff hitter is the pitcher, the runner placed on second base may be the player preceding the pitcher in the batting order. Did, like the umps explain anything like that? Or? Well, you know, I didn't know that. We all thought that uh, Liam was going to be the runner, and that's why I wanted there because if you wanted a double switch to keep him in the game, if you look at all, you know, Abreu back to Moncada and so forth, that's not who you want to double switch out of the game. So... I wasn't aware that Abreu could have run. I thought it had to be the guy who made the last out or that spot yeah. in the order. That was awkward. That was that was real, real awkward right there. And you know what? Kudos to James Fagan for just reading the rule book to Tony LaRusso right there. That took a set, man. I haven't been in on one of these Zoom press conferences yet, but I, I know that doing that in person in one of these managerial pre or post-game press conferences or gangbangs as as they're called in the industry to read to read off the rule book to Tony LaRusso and basically say yeah you 
Yeah, no, no, man, you you didn't know one of the rules that took a set by James Fagan, especially to noted red ass and 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 Tony Larusa. The, the reaction that he got was not the reaction that he he necessarily was going to get. It could have been a lot worse and a lot uglier. But what he did right there, what James Fagan did right there, is something that I didn't think really anybody could do, and that was take the wind out of Tony Larusa. Like you could hear in his voice. After James reads the the rule book to him, that he he is, like I said, the wind was taken out of his sails. He he was brought down a level for just one second there. Tony Russo, a man well, who's very you know, very the, full of himself. That yeah, situation. go ahead. I'm guessing you know the rules better. Now I know. Yeah, yeah he does, and, and yeah, you do. Yeah, you, that was that was one of those things where. So I'm doing my I do an afternoon show in Milwaukee at 670 The Score's uh, sister station 1250 The Fan up here, and so I didn't hear that at first. I'm on the air doing my show. I'm just reading the quotes on Twitter. I'm seeing Parkins and Spiegel go nuts about it. I'm seeing Shane Reardon call for Tony Larusa's head over and over again on his Twitter timeline, and I I knew. It was. I knew it was bad what happened in that post game press conference. But then when you hear it, when you, it's it's one of those things that has so much more effect and so much more impact when you actually hear it. That it was. It was. That was a jaw dropper. I've never seen Tony Larusa uh, quite like that. Like I said, to have the wind taken out of his sails. That's a dude who is very full of himself. No matter what's going on. He he feels like he's the smartest guy in the room, and he was he was told right there. He was basically read from a book that no, you indeed are not the smartest guy in the room. But I will say this, and I'm going to have some good things to say in defense of Tony Larusa right now. Starting with that incident specifically, and John Greenberg talks about this and talked about this in his piece at the Athletic earlier in the week. As bad a look as that is for Tony Larusa. Every, I would guess at least once a week, there's something that gets by a major league baseball manager. And that's why you have bench coaches. That's that's why you have an entire staff. And I'm not saying that he he should not have known that rule, but it's a it's a big, thick rule book, man. It is a huge rule book that major league baseball managers and umpires need to know. And that's that's why you have right hand men. That's why you have a staff, and for for nobody, the failure starts with Tony La Russa in that particular instance. And I use failure for lack of a better term. It's a harsh word for something that ultimately is not that great of an offense. Let's be real. That's not why they lost that basket, that, that baseball game. I say basketball. Anyways, that's not why they lost that baseball game. You had, what, two hits that whole day? No runs? Score some runs, and you're not even in that position. The failure, though, starts with Tony La Russa. But then, right on down the line, everybody in that in that Sox dugout needs to own that. For nobody to go to Tony Larusa, who, hey, let's be real, has been out of the game for a long time, at least as a manager. And things have changed, especially in the last couple of years, with all these all these new rules due to COVID, and some of which it looks like are sticking around for the long haul. I can I can understand why he didn't know that rule. I'll be honest with you. I did not know that rule. Sean Anderson back in the studio. Did you know that rule? Did you know that you didn't have to put your pitcher out there on second base? Because I didn't. No, Robbie, but I'm not a major league baseball manager. True. Like, I, and that 
I was just going to say that. It's not my job. It's not your job to know it. It's his job to know it. I said the failure starts with him, but it goes on down the line. He shares it with a lot of other people, Sean. Uh, He he shares it with people in the organization, but I I have no idea what the point is. If I don't know the rule, why Tony La Russa doesn't need to know the rule. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I know the FCC rules because that's my job. (laughs) Tony La Russa should know the baseball rules because that's his job. You know what? Fair enough. When you put it like that, I have no argument against what you just said. That's that's a fair point. But somebody in that dugout, Sean, have you ever missed something while you were at work and somebody else who works with you goes, hey, man, you're missing this. You're supposed to, I don't know, play this soundbite or call this guest. You forgot to call this guest this break. Has anything ever slipped past you that you should have known you were doing but you weren't doing, and you get a little help from a friend. Of course, and 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 okay. but, and, and in that clip, I I don't know if it, it said there, but in the full exchange, it's like two minutes back and forth. There was a time where Tony said, like I think someone, and I think uh, it was determined that it was Jerry Naren uh, from the broadcast said, like it looked like there was a conversation, and he said, like Are you sure you want to have Liam out there? And he said, Yeah, no. So I, it's I, I, we're not sure if the they knew the exact rule, but at least there was a conversation between the bench. Being like, all right, this guy might make a mistake right here. Um, so I, it seemed like Larusa did have a way to get out of it. I, I will say, even if he didn't know the rule. Okay, and I'm not, I'm not letting him off the hook for this. He, sh- he certainly shares. He certainly owns the lion's share of the blame for this because, like you said, Sean, you know the FCC rules because that's your job, and that's a that's a really strong point. That, like I said, I don't even have a counter to. So it is Tony Larusa's job to know the rules. But once it gets by him, that's why there's there's a system and there's a staff in place. But I will say this: I think people were a little bit too harsh on Tony Larusa for that particular incident, and I think just in general. At large, the buzz that I see around this White Sox team and the way that White Sox fans feel about Tony La Russa right now, and God, I never thought I'd be sitting I'd be sitting here on Chicago Station defending Tony La Russa, but here I am. I think people have been a little bit too hard on him. For that instance, and for the season as a whole. Every day, tweets come across my timeline. Some from people who work for this very station and whose baseball opinions I respect very much saying Tony La Russa needs to be fired. He's got to go. That's a fireable offense. And I'm not saying the guy's been perfect. No Major League Baseball manager is. They're all going to make mistakes, even egregious ones like running your closer out there and standing him on second base in extra innings. Every manager is going to make mistakes. At the end of the day, when you're evaluating, assessing any manager, any coach, In any sport, it comes down to this. You and I can use our eye test, look at a roster on paper, and say this team is this good. You can put it in wins. You can put it in how deep a playoff run you think they should make. We can look at a team and say this team is this good and put any measure on it that you want. And this this White Sox team came into the season with really high expectations. No doubt about that. And rightly so. Tony La Russa had a lot to live up to. And I'm, 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 I was never here to make excuses for him. But if I told you to start the season, you would start the year without Tim Anderson for 10 days. You would lose Eloy Jimenez for the year. You'd lose Luis Robert for a good long time. You'd lose Lucas Giolito for a start or two. And 31 games into the season, you're in first place at 18 and 13. You have the best run differential in Major League Baseball. You have the highest on-base percentage in the American League, the lowest ERA in the American League, 
your starters are lights out. You have the longest scoreless streak by starting pitchers since a run of 26 and a third innings across four games back in 2010. And like I said, that's all despite losing Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez to serious injuries. If I told you all that was going on and you're 18 and 13 and first place in the AL Central, just about any Sox fan would take that. And that's really all that we should be measuring or, or judging or assessing or evaluating Tony LaRusson. Has he gotten more wins out of this baseball team than you would think 31 games in? And with everything that's worked against them, I think most of us would say yes. I'd push back on that. I, I don't think he's gotten them more wins uh, in the, in these 31 games. I think they should be 20, 20 and 11, not 18 and 13. And, and that's Are because there... of Tony La Russa in, in two games that he possibly could have swung the Reds game. And, and uh, I, I'm forgetting the other one. I think it was the Mariners game. Yeah. And I saw I saw Lawrence Holmes tweet that 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 Tony La Russa has lost his team at least three, maybe four games was what Lawrence Holmes said in that tweet. And Sean, I. I have I'm up here in Milwaukee. I'm watching the Brewers every night. I try to follow my favorite team, the Cubs, and then and then I watch the Brewers win, win or watch the Sox and 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 follow them as well as I can after all that. You watch this team night in and night out. It's, and and if you tell me that there are two games that Tony LaRusso lost for them, I'm going to go ahead and believe you. I'm going to go ahead and take your word for it, Sean. But when you look at the overall record and where they're at, if I told you everything that they had working against them, they're sitting at 18 and 13, have the largest run differential in all of baseball and the lowest ERA in the American League. You would say, I'm pretty damn pleased with that, wouldn't you? I'm definitely pleased. I'm not going to be out here because, I mean, they're still in first place. They're still five games above 500. I think it would be irrational if I wasn't pleased. But I, mm-hmm. I, I would. I, I do think it's wrong to say at least that, you know, right now this is they're still in the best place they could have been because I think they could still be in a better shape sure. right now uh, with with everything given. Yes, they have those injuries, but still like the, the reason the pitching is performing this well, I would say is more due to credit due to Ethan Katz and not Tony La Russa. Um, I, I look at this lineup and this lineup still ha- doesn't have the power. Um, and, and is that because of a change with Frank Minichino and Tony La Russa that they want guys to be more patient? We don't know yet. Um, but still, I, I don't think that the the the, the offense right is is fully 100 percent right now because, yes, they're getting on base. Um, but this is a team that is known for their power and they're last right now in the MLB. Does that mean that it's going to come back just when the weather warms up? I don't know. But that is a worry because if it doesn't come back, I don't know if this team can play small ball and hit like they are. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that that we can declare the Tony Larusa experiment a success right now. I'm not. I'm not here to 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 go against anything that you just said right there, Sean. And there's certainly room for improvement. There's certainly room for critique and for criticism of Tony Larusa. And even if you want to say that he doesn't have this team playing as well as it could, or does, or like you said, they does they have two. They don't have two wins on their record that they otherwise could have because of Tony La Russa. There is a long ways between saying that and saying this guy's got to go. He needs to be fired. That's that's a fireable offense, which is something I see all the time when it comes to this guy. And I understand how this thing got off to a start. That he he it felt like he was forced in by Jerry Reinsdorf. That a lot of Sox fans looked at his age and how long he was out of the game and and questioned the move. Then you had the DUI thing. It, it got off to a rough start and I feel like a lot of Sox fans we're resistant to this hire in the first place. And I get why, but I don't think you should let that shade your overall evaluation and assessment of Tony LaRusso. Even if you don't think they're where they should be and there's room for improvement, as Sean just laid out, a pretty good case that there is, 
I don't think that that means that this dude is in over his head or that he should be fired or that he's not a good enough manager for this baseball team. Again, if I told you all the injuries and things working against this team, that they were 18 and 13, had the best run differential in Major League Baseball and the lowest ERA in the American League, you would be thrilled with that if I told you before the season that's how this thing was going to go down. Have right. we been too hard on Tony La Russa? Go ahead, Sean. I, I, you know, it's it's only been 31 games so far, and, and sure. all those stats can change. And I, I think you mentioned the John Greenberg piece. I don't know if you mentioned what he said, but I agree 100% with it. Tony La Russa was a guy that was never questioned and never questioned himself and always stuck to his guns. And now right. it seems like he is a little bit hesitant. I worry that, you know, come September, that this is going to be more of an issue than it is in May because you're going to have 100 more games to go through. You're going to have the travel. You're going to have more injuries and more things to deal with. I don't know if he is fully ready for 162 games plus the playoffs. That's where I get worried because right now they're winning games in some ways in spite of them, but also just because this team's really talented. I don't know if they can continue this all the way up to September, and that's what you need. I think Rick Renteria at least was very solid. He wasn't great. He wasn't horrible. And that's what you provided. And I don't see a, a drastic change in this team uh, in the way that they're managed between Tony La Russa and Rick Renteria. But I do know Rick Renteria can last 162. And that's a that's a valid concern. But, and, and I know this isn't going to be too comforting to Sean or anybody else, but we won't know if that's the case until we know. And that's not comforting because then it'll be too late. I just know that 31 games into the season, I look at the overall product that's been put out there, and I think Sox fans should be pleased. Not not to say that you can't criticize, there isn't room for improvement, but I think you should be pleased with the job you've gotten out of Tony La Russa. Have Sox fans in the media been too hard on this guy? I can't believe I'm asking that at 312-644-6767, but I am. Rami Makhlouf in for Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. If you knew that Abreu was available to be the runner there, would you have gone to him instead of Hendricks? Yeah, if I'd known that, I didn't know that. I'd have checked the rule. That was why the, uh, the you know, guys on the bench came out and questioned me about, you know, that, that Liam was going to be the runner. And I said, yeah, I know. So we didn't know it. That's Tony LaRusso. Maybe for the first time in his life, <laughs> Knocked out a peg, brought down to earth when he didn't know the extra inning rules. And uh, maybe cost the White Sox a game. 312-644-6767. Rami Makhlouf in for Matt Spiegel this morning on hit and run. Cubs Pirates, game two of that series at 120. First pitch here on 670 to score. I'll take you right up to pregame at 1245. Right now asking you, though, about the White Sox and whether or not the media, White Sox fans, have been a little bit too harsh. On Tony La Russa. If, if you told me at the start of the season he'd be working, they'd be working against everything that they've been working against this season, and still this team would be 18-13, and 13, have the largest run differential in baseball, the lowest ERA in the American League, and have a few other good things going for him, ultimately, it's, it's, that's what we can measure a manager on. That doesn't mean that there isn't room for improvement, there isn't room for critique and criticism. There certainly is, but you would be pleased with that if I told you that was the case before this season started. Bunch of texts coming in and the text zone at 312-644-6767. Brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at RosenHyundai.com, including uh, this one here that uh, calls me out of town stupid. He says, LaRusa made three mistakes in the top of the 10th. Hendricks on second. Garcia's stolen base attempt and not pinch hitting for Billy Hamilton. He cost him this day. Giolito, a Giolito start. The Seattle game you mentioned. You're being out of town stupid. No, I am not pleased because he will have another horrible mistake within the next 10 days and so on. That's Roger 
in Greensboro. I've done, I don't know, 15, 20 hosting shifts here on The Score. And my weekday job, I'm the afternoon host on The Score's sister station, The Fan, up in Milwaukee. It took that long for me to be called out-of-town stupid. Sean, I'm going to take that as a win. I don't know if I should, but I'm going to go ahead and take that as a win, that it took that long for that criticism to come in for this guy from Milwaukee. I'm good with that. Out-of-town stupid is definitely going to be played when you come in every time. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. 312-644-6767. Give me a call. Talk to this out-of-town stupid guy, Rami Makhlouf, in for Matt Spiegel. Ron on the south side. You're on Hit and Run. What's up, Ron? Good morning. I, I don't think you're out of town, stupid. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate um, that. <laughs> hey, real quick. Uh, yeah, you know, one of the things that Steve Stone said, and we know Tony knows knows the game, and but he's he's been away from the game a while. But what Steve Stone pointed out was, no matter how much he knows the game, he's learning his players. So. Um, that and that's gonna take a while because you know what I was glad to see. I I never thought Yohan Mankata should have been batting fourth. I didn't want to have him batting behind um Abreu. If Abreu was on base, you know Mankata has some decent speed. So that's an instance to me where he is continuing to um, learn his players, and and that's gonna happen over the course of the season. Certainly, he made mistakes. And as fans, that's what we do. We, we we criticize, and you can argue, you know, back and forth of uh, how many times he, you know, calls the Sox to win. But, I mean, calls the games. But if you said, if you look at their record and you look at the run difference and the pitching, the ERA, I think, I know the Sox saying, I am pleased. But one other thing I want to, uh, you talk, you ask uh, Merck about this pitching style. The pitcher that I was really looking for uh, to see in this season is Dylan Cease. So I think his last two performances were very good. So uh, we'll see how Dylan Cease comes along. And if you recall, well, maybe not, but there were people who said that the White Sox should have tried to hold on to, um, oh, what's the pitcher they traded to? To um, Texas, uh, Dunning. Excuse me, right now, Dane Dunning. Yeah, Dane Dunning. Yeah, yeah. and because uh, you know he was getting criticized the first season, they were saying, "Oh boy, the Sox traded the wrong person." So uh, that's the. To me, I'm just looking forward to seeing how he turns out. And if he can continue pitching the way he's pitching, at some point, then we can possibly talk about how good this team is compared to 2005. So those are my comments. Enjoying the show. Thank you. Ron, thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. And and to his point that, that he made at, at the very start of the call, it was a long call, so I don't know if you guys remember. At the very start of the call, he said, Tony LaRusse is still figuring his guys out, still figuring this roster out and, and where to put everybody, what everybody's role is, how to move the pieces around the chessboard. And, and Sean, our producer back in the studio, very good point that – Maybe Tony La Russa doesn't have the the stamina or or maybe cost them games late in the season when when there's a little bit more on the line that that he's in the in the same fashion that he's costing him games now. And that's that's certainly a legit fear. But to Ron's point, maybe there's maybe there's room for improvement as he figures out this team and how to move the chess pieces around the board. It could get worse. It could get worse, like Sean said, but it also 
could get better, like Ron said. And like I said to Sean, and I'll say the same thing to Ron, and no matter which side of the spectrum that you're on, we won't know until we know. And it's going to be either too late by then, or you're going to be very pleasantly surprised if you're a Tony La Russa critic right now, if indeed he does start to figure things out and, and knows his roster and his guys and how to move the chess pieces around the board. It could get better. It could get worse, but it could get better. I just think it's too early for, for so many people to be calling for this guy's head or to declare it a mistake. Now, I was on with Parkins when this hire was being kicked around. And I had I had questions about it. I still have questions about it. But am I ready to say I was right and Tony Larusa was the wrong hire? No, I can't say that. I can't confidently say that. Yeah, Sam on the South. Oh, go ahead, Sean. I'm not saying that either. And I think one point too, like him learning his roster, it shows it with the Danny Mendick uh, lineup that uh, that he's throwing out there. Yesterday he put him in right field. Today he's putting him back in right field because of the way he played. That's knowing your roster. the The depth isn't there. The depth needs to be better. Where you're not starting a guy who's never played a major league game in right field, but you're still using the best players in the scenarios. Danny Mendick is one of your best nine right now with all the injuries. He should be playing even if it is in right field. If he if he doesn't play well out there, well, that's Rick Hahn's fault that you didn't get a deeper and and more uh, you know talented outfield. Let's go to Sam on the south side. You're on hit and run. What's up, Sam? Ah, thanks for taking the call. Very good show. Um, I just wanted to bring up a couple quick points. Uh, you talked about the injury losses for the season. Tim Anderson early. Let's not forget Abreu's hitting 200. Grandal's not barely hitting 100. Their bullpen, which was supposed to be the strength of the team, actually stunk the joint up the first week and lost some games. Tony, uh, to me, looks like he's he's feeling himself around and getting back into the groove. Ten years away from anything. I don't care if you're a Major League Baseball manager or a garbage man. Ten years away from your job. There's a there's a little readjustment period, and and I see him a little tentative sometimes, and and he's feeling his way around. But uh, remember one other thing: uh, Reinsdorf brought him back because he and Laru- meaning Larusa was let go the first time, and Reinsdorf was not a fan of letting him go, and he this is kind of a uh, in my opinion, it's a uh, let's bring him back, make amends kind of thing, and give him a shot. And he's not getting rid of him this year. He may be a one-year fix, sort of like um, uh, the coach for the, the Cowboys was in between uh, Johnson, the, the, um, the, the head coach from Oklahoma they brought in for, for about a year for the Cowboys. Uh, LaRosa La is a, a short-term fix. Yep, Switzer, there you go. He, he was a short-term fix for the Cowboys. Uh, uh, but uh, Tony's not going anywhere this year. He's, he's, he's going to finish it out. I don't think he's going to go past this year. I think he's a one-year uh, fix here, and that's it. I wouldn't be surprised if it is if it is one year. If, if we find out, you know, Sean's greatest fears about Tony LaRusso are true late in the season, that he doesn't have the stamina or the wherewithal or the moments – just too big for him given 10 years away from the game and, and the age that he is and, and, and just things that have changed 
since he's been in this game uh, 10 years ago. But again, we won't know that until we know. And by then, it'll either be too late or it'll be a very pleasant surprise. I wouldn't mind uh, getting back into this conversation with you guys at 312-644-6767. After I talk with Mike Petriello, MLB StatCast writer, he's going to join me, Rami Makloff, in for Matt Spiegel right after this. Hit and run on 670 The Score. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 